What's going on, guys? Today is Thursday, February 11th, and I'm just wondering if anyone can tell me why the majority of responses that I find about a star player being benched are all backing said star players. Because I'm a little confused on this one, and I'm going to spend the next little while telling you why coaches like John Tortorella, they're usually always right. Let's go. of the Quick Mitts podcast. Today I want to focus on a couple of recent benchings we've been discussing in the hockey world a little bit and the coaching style of John Tortorella. Today's episode, as you've seen already, is called John Tortorella Gives No Fucks. And look, (laughs) there's a lot to talk about when it comes to all of this. This is not going to be a very long episode. I just have to get this out. I have been aware of John Tortorella most of my hockey-watching life. He was an assistant coach of the Arizona Coyotes, then Phoenix Coyotes when I was young. Obviously, I didn't know much about him then. I became much more abundantly aware of him and everything about him when he moved to the Tampa Bay Lightning. Now, there was a lot less media discussion about his antics, so to speak, or his style, or... You know, there was far less issues with him in the media and all kinds of things like that back in Tampa. And look, he won. He won a Stanley Cup in 2004. So whenever you win, no matter what your methods are, generally, less of them are going to be questioned when you win. At the end of the day, it got the job done. You have star players, but coaching matters. Hockey is a sport, in my opinion, where coaching matters. There are There are some sports, maybe like baseball, where I think there's things the manager needs to do to put his team in a place to win, but at the end of the day, the players need to go out there and get the job done. In hockey, I do think coaching is very, very important in a lot of different ways. Maybe not as important as it is in football, but I still think it's very important with how you coach your players, what your your style is, what the environment around your team is. I think for most teams, when you look at them, you, you can get a general sense, especially if there's been an established coach or general manager. And this isn't just a hockey thing. This is all around sports. But if, if, if a coach or general manager or ownership group has been established for a while, generally that team has some level of identity. And I think that's important. You have to understand what type of team you want to be. Um, and a lot of this I understood a lot more after getting a taste of coaching. Granted, I'm not about to sit up here and tell you that I am some established coach in any way, shape, or form, and that my word is law when it comes to coaching, but I've had my fair share of 
different styled coaches. I've been a part of programs that I was proud to be a part of for a number of reasons. And I've had, I've been on teams where I was disappointed because I felt like we left so much on the table because we didn't really have an identity. And I think having an identity is very crucial to a winning program. So when I look at certain scenarios, you can look at a city, you can look at a team and see Especially, again, if they have had an established coach, general manager, ownership group, whatever it is, what that team's identity tends to be. And if it's a team that's won at some point or has seen some level of success, or whether whether they have or haven't, whether they're working towards something, you still might have an idea of what to expect when you see that team each time, they play your team, or whatever the situation might be. For John Tortorella, it's very obvious I think, especially to big-time hockey fans, on what to expect when dealing with his team, when being on his team, when watching his team, whatever it is. John Tortorella is well-known throughout the hockey landscape for his style. He does not care what you think. He's going to do what he thinks and what he believes is the right way to, to coach a team, to bring a team in, and to have them perform the way he wants them to. For me, when, when I had my three years of, of coaching experience back at Northern Arizona University, I got to play for the organization for five seasons, and I got to coach it for three. And I look back, and there's a lot of things I wish I did differently. Obviously, there's a lot of things in, in, in life we always find that we could do differently when you look back on it. But in a situation where we're talking about coaching, we're talking about molding players, especially at a very impressionable age, you want those players and people to grow up to be real men. And that's the time adults, okay, this isn't about men, women, what have you, but in my situation, I was coaching boys, men, what have you. You want them to be adults. You want them to be to, to show personal growth that will help themselves throughout life and will help the team in the immediate future. You want to establish an identity, but there's a lot of things. You know, you want players to understand that there are roles necessary. Everyone has to take in their role. But at the end of the day, on top of that, you just want everyone to buy in to the same thing you're trying to sell. And if you, if you don't have that, you're going to struggle. You're not going to be able to have your team perform as well as they should if not everyone's buying into the system, to buying into what you're selling. When John Tortorella is coaching a hockey team, everyone should be well aware at this point in his career of what he wants you to do. He accepts nothing but your best effort at all times. Now, obviously, that's going to run very difficult for a lot of people. It's not easy to play for. That's the point, though. It's not supposed to be easy. You're, the, winning is not easy. And if it is, then you probably just have more talent than everyone else. And it's just that simple. And I've been a part of a team that way. My high school championship team, my senior year in high school in Arizona, we had a team that I knew I could tell when I was on that team in the beginning. We had the talent to win state. Now, I had many times throughout that year where I looked around and I said, we're not going to do this. We have the ability to do this, but we're not going to get it done. And my reasoning was, we didn't seem to have a general identity. I felt like we had the talent by far. 
to get the job done. I don't think there was a deeper team than what we had that year in 2007. But I looked around and I, I saw effort levels in practice and I saw different things. No one was wearing an actual letter on their jersey. They told me and another senior that we were the captains, but then they never put the letters on the jerseys. To me, yeah, maybe it doesn't matter, but it's a matter of symbolism in a certain sense. But it's establishing something. It's it's you know you're putting your stake in the ground and you're saying, look, these are our leaders and we're following what they say. And then, then they can go from there. The team can look at them from there. I, I do think there's an important symbolism that comes from wearing the letter on the jersey. You see it in football now. You see it in baseball occasionally now. But you saw it in hockey first. And I, it's not just showing off that those are your leaders. It's just it's it's setting in stone a point that, look, these are the people we feel like best represent our team. And we want to their example to be what you think of when you think of our organization. And I looked around and I thought, man, we're not going to get this done because it just doesn't seem like everyone's buying into what we need to do. No one's working hard enough. We have the talent, but are we really going to work hard enough to get this done? And what was crazy was, look, it's high school hockey in Arizona. We got it done. We won the state championship. We went on and we beat other state champions and we won the regional championship. But we did it on talent alone. We did not do it because I felt we worked harder than everyone else or we had the best coaching. We had great coaches. But it, it, but they didn't hold people accountable in a lot of scenarios where they could have and they should have. But we benefited from the fact that we just had more talent than everyone else and we ended up getting it done. In college, it was a very different scenario that I was put in front of that was put in front of me. I, I got to play with more talented players than I had ever played with before in my life. Um, but at the same time, that level of accountability just wasn't there in a lot of situations. And I'm not trying to talk trash about my college. I loved every second of being there. I look back on it and it's some of the best memories of my entire life was playing hockey for that team and getting to coach that team and everything that was involved with, with Northern Arizona hockey. I loved all of it. But... Could certain of situations be better? Could we have ultimately gotten more done? Could we have won more? I mean, look, we went to nationals twice. We finished sixth in the country twice. My first two years in the organization, it was great. I got to coach a team that got to the national tournament. It was all great. But there was so much left on the table. There was so much more we could have been if we held people accountable. We had a we had a great number of players that had a, a wealth of ability and talent, but they didn't really reach their real potential because they weren't held accountable for laziness, among many other problems that come with being in a college. Like, we were a club hockey team. This wasn't NCAA. This is ACHA I'm talking about. So you're paying to play. You still have to make the team. You still have to be good enough. It's not like anyone can get to play as long as you have money. But it's not the same as being a scholarship athlete. But I look back on a lot of those scenarios and I think, man, what could have been? When you look at how talented some of those teams were and how talented some of those players were. And if they were only held more accountable for their actions in scenarios, I just feel like the, the, the levels of success we could have had compared to what we did have were astronomical. And I feel like a lot of teams and situations are very, very similar to this. And we have perfect examples coming out of the NHL over the last couple weeks. 
So granted, yes, this is the second episode for this season. I know there's a lot of other things that can be covered when we're looking at the early parts of the season, and I'll get into those in other episodes going forward. I'm, I get to work from home next week, so I will certainly be posting next week. But for this situation, this is something I think is more important than everything else going on right now because it just covers every aspect of the game and how it should be handled. So we now take in everything I was just talking about and talk about the scenarios we have outright in front of us in the NHL right now. In a lot of sports, you've got players that have a level of ego or what they feel is owed to them. And obviously it's different on a professional level. We're talking about people getting paid lots and lots of money to play the game. When you look at the differences between different players on a team and how much certain guys are getting paid and the egos that go along with that, that's got to be very difficult to handle and to coach and to, to keep in, in line and in check and everything else. But you have a lot of players who, who use that ego to then try to get what they want and they try to force their way out of a situation that just becomes too uncomfortable for them or whatever and they want it to be in something that's easier that isn't so hard and playing for a coach like John Tortorella is not easy look this is a guy who has won Stanley Cup so it's not like I'm sitting here and saying that everything this guy does is law because look at the proofs in the pudding but I think more often than not you look at a lot of the reasons why maybe some of his teams couldn't get over the hump I think it's because more people were fighting listening and, and, and following in, in line, with the team identity that John Tortorella wanted for his organizations, the various ones that he's been on, than it was he didn't have the right players or that the players weren't good enough. I just think he's that difficult to play for as a coach because of the level of expectation that he has for you as a player. He expects you to be a two-way player, to give every ounce of effort that you have inside of you at all times. Is that fun to play for as a coach or as a player? No. It's not fun. But it's not always supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be fun. Winning is fun. The fun comes when, when, you, when you do what the coach asks you to do and you find the results. That's where the fun comes. If you want to have fun the entire time, there are plenty of other coaches in the league you can play for. But don't expect to be raising that trophy at the end of the season. Now again, Tortorella does not always going to have the team that's going to be winning at the end of the day. Again, one Stanley Cup isn't one to look back on and say, man, this guy really should be what everyone else is doing. But again, you need 20-plus players to buy into that system and be fully willing to get the job done. So our current scenario is as follows. As we, as we watch Patrick Laine, who is now a member of of the Columbus Blue Jackets get benched for the first time. And he just came out and said some positive things that we'll get to in a minute. But we're going to have to rewind a little bit as we as we talk about why we're discussing Patrick Laine being benched just the other night. Now it starts with the original player that was on this team to start this season, but there was controversy before the year even got started. Pierre-Luc Dubois, the number three overall pick, Right behind Patrick Laine, and before that, obviously, Austin Matthews. And coincidentally enough, we're going to talk about all three of those teams, players, and situations in today's episode. Again, brief, we'll get to the point. 
Pierre-Luc Dubois said at the beginning of this season, granted, this is right after a phenomenal playoffs where he actually got to show off and we saw the most of his potential for the first time on the big stage just before we're hearing these comments. Not that long ago, we watched the Columbus Blue Jackets. Look, they lost in the playoffs. They had to play Tampa again after beating them the year before when they had a record-breaking modern-day, record-breaking season. Columbus got that job done. And I'm telling you, the reason why a team like Columbus can beat a team like Tampa the way they did then and then beat a team like Toronto the way they did last season is because of the style of coaching of John Tortorella. But let's get back to this point. We see the best we've seen of Pierre-Luc Dubois in the NHL in those playoffs putting that team on his back. And he starts this new season saying, I don't want to play in Ohio anymore. I demand a trade. Immediately, I feel like most people were saying, Pierre-Luc Dubois looks like he's being a bit of a baby. But then there's a ton of people out there saying, this must be because of Torts. He doesn't want to play for Torts. Torts just gets on everyone's nerves, and he's just too difficult to play for. Now, he came out and said that's not the issue. He said it has nothing to do with John Tortorella. There's other reasons for his reasons, for his wanting to leave. But he doesn't really want to get into it. doesn't want to make it a public deal. It's a little late for that. But he said what he said. Do I think Ohio is a place everyone wants to live? No. But neither is the place you got traded to. Basically, the Canadian version. Pierre-Luc Dubois, look, there was immediate discussion. What was going to happen next? He ends up signing the deal he needed to sign, a two-year deal, just to make sure he still played, didn't want to become too much of a distraction. And again, when you have a player that has an actual contract, to become easier to trade. So there was multiple reasons why that trade, or that signing, needed to happen before the trade. So he, he says he needs to get out, wants out. There's another guy in Winnipeg who we've heard rumblings about for very similar reasons, wanting to get out of the place he's in. That's Patrick Laine in Winnipeg. Now, Laine is a guy who fills the net with goals. This guy just scores. The comparisons immediately go to Alexander Ovechkin. He scores a lot of goals in the same way on the power play with that rocket of a shot. And when you have a player like that, you're going to have most coaches in the league, they're going to be far more lenient on the way they discipline a player like that because ultimately it's more worth it to you to let that guy just be out on the ice, have his mistakes, but if he can score two or three goals, you're not going to care so much about the, the lapses in play. But there's there's been discussion over the last two years about Patrick Liney potentially wanting out or maybe not getting along with other players in the team. Some weird things with Blake Wheeler and, and, and Mark Shifley and some comments from a year ago about you know wanting to play with those guys as opposed to the line he was on. But then there was some fear about him maybe taking Wheeler's spot on the top line. Just weird things coming out of the camp. And you can only, you can only be so sure about what was actually true. But either way, you've got a player that seemingly looks disgruntled in Winnipeg, one that has come out and said his very clear disdain for being in Ohio in Pierre-Luc Dubois. Hey, look, perfect trade partners. That trade gets done. The number two overall pick for the number three overall pick, and they make a swap. Now, there were some rumors that that could happen, but we weren't really sure what was going to go down. And then comes what is only going to be known as the shift.
Pierre-Luc Dubois is followed from start to finish on what would be his last shift as a Columbus Blue Jacket. Now, the amount of effort that was shown in that shift that led to his benching couldn't have been more obvious. And how little he seemed to care, how lost he appeared on the ice. Now, it's not easy for players nowadays to have to deal with this and the cameras and everything else that picks up everything out there. Things are different now, obviously, than they were for players of, of similar situations in the past. But that at least allowed some people to get off the back of John Tortorella and say, look, that level of effort will never be accepted, and you can understand why he was benched. But the benching came in the third period after he had this horrific shift. And it looked bad. It wasn't good. And that, that tape is always going to be out there. Now, we'll see what Pierre-Luc Dubois does from here on out in his time in Winnipeg, but that video was, was damning for him. It did not look good to have a player that unwilling to support his teammates in play. And that kind of forced the issue, and that's why that trade happened as quickly as it did. Because after that, it felt like there was no coming back from that. Tortorella's not going to put you back out there, and it just it's a bad look. The fans aren't going to support you. No one's going to be happy about that situation. So they make the trade. Pierre-Luc Dubois to Winnipeg, Patrick Laine to Columbus. Now, the immediate comments that come out after this trade is, you know, the baby got what he wants, blah, 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 whatever. Then he goes, he leaves, and goes to Canadian Ohio in Winnipeg, Manitoba. And Patrick Laine comes to Columbus. Now, this is interesting because Patrick Laine is known as a one-dimensional player. A guy who scores a ton of goals, but he's not going to put in the same level of effort on the defensive end. There was some debates at one point of Matthews versus Line. When you, you see the ridiculous amount of goals Patrick Line can score, although you're looking at Austin Matthews right now, and that guy's got like 82 goals in his last like 50-something regular season games. It's something insane. That guy scores more goals than anyone right now, five on five. So we're talking about guys like Alexander Ovechkin, who, fair enough, one of the greatest goal scorers I've ever seen, if not the greatest goal scorer of all time. And guys like Patrick Laine, who score a lot of goals in similar ways. Power play scenarios set up for them to score. I'm not comparing them in the same light because Ovi is, again, greatest goal scorer in the history of the world. But Austin Matthews scoring goals 5-on-5 five five like that, a little different. Anyway, back to the point at hand. Patrick Laine going to play in Columbus for John Tortorella. Not an ideal matchup for a lot of people. When you're saying that, man, this is going to be a struggle for Patrick Laine, all the jokes were then, Patrick Laine better do what he's supposed to do or Torts is going to bench you. So what do we get the other night? Patrick Laine gets benched, and the immediate comments that come after are flooding in about how typical Torts, typical John Tortorella benching a star player, this is ridiculous, now Laine will never re-sign in Columbus. How is that the attitude that you have? How is that the thought process that you have? That you back the player and say this is the coach's fault because the player didn't want to put in the effort. And you have to then bend over backwards to do what the player wants because you want to hope that he re-signs? You have to set a precedent for what you expect out of your players. And the best players especially need to be the ones that fall in line. If the best players, if your top players, aren't doing what the coaching staff wants, and then the bottom players, bottom six, what have you, players, aren't doing that, 
and then they get disciplined, but the top players aren't, you're going to have anarchy within your, your system, within your team. The players aren't going to think that everyone gets held accountable for their actions. Why would they buy in line if the top players aren't being punished in the same way? But if you're seen punishing the top players for doing things wrong, why wouldn't the rest of the team fall in line? They know that everyone gets it. And you heard that out of guys like Cam Atkinson who said, look, yeah, he got benched. When you're not doing what you're supposed to do, Torts doesn't care. He gives no fucks. You're going to sit. And you deserve to sit. And that's what every single coach should be doing. Making sure every single player is held accountable, especially the top players. When I look back at my situations in, in, in growing up, in Arizona and, and playing hockey my entire life. And I think about the situations where star players were given star treatment. It's a joke. The rest of the players sit there and talk on the bench like, this is bullshit. This is not okay. And that's something you can completely avoid. But it's out of fear. That's fear from a coach that is unwilling to discipline their best players. They're afraid that that player will then check out or not give them what they need, or the team's then going to lose because they're too desperate to need what that player gives them offensively, generally. That's what the situation was in college for me. I know those coaches were afraid to bench star players or discipline star players because they knew we needed them. They knew that every game mattered, and if we lost a big game that we needed a star player in just to discipline them, that it wouldn't be for the greater good, but it would have been. That's what they didn't get then, and that's what apparently people don't get now. More coaches need to be like John Tortorella. More coaches need to hold their players accountable. Why would you not want everyone on your team being a great two-way player? I'm just going to sit back, let my guy be happy, because when he's happy, he plays well. But if he's not, well, then he's going to have a temper tantrum, and then I have to deal with that. It's bullshit. It's ridiculous, and it's garbage, especially at the professional level. Every coach should want to get the best out of their players, and the best way to do that is respect. Your players should respect you if you hold them accountable, if they actually want to get better, if they actually want to improve, if they actually want to win. But if they just want the coach to be easy on them and have everything be nice and have no... You don't want the coach yelling at you when you do something wrong. You don't want to be embarrassed in front of your teammates. And if you, if you happen to win that way, you're winning on talent alone. And I'm not trying to talk shit about any other coaches in the league and focus on any other scenarios and say it's impossible to win if you don't do these things. But how could you not want those things to be a part of your organization? That's what I don't get. I want a coach like John Tortorella. It would suck. But think about how much better you're going to be as a player, as a team, and how much better it's going to feel when you win. I don't know. Those are the things I think about as a player. Or when I look at these guys and think of what they should want in these situations. How do you not want that? Now, again, the way Canadian media goes, any big situation like this, we're going to have to figure out what Toronto thinks. So, of course, someone felt the need to ask Sheldon Keefe, the head coach of the Toronto Maple Leafs, and this is how we cycle back to the Leafs and Austin Matthews, and all top three picks from that from that draft. But they asked Sheldon Keefe, in some way, shape, or form, what he thought about the benching and benching star players, and he said he takes it 
to a certain extent, but you have to be careful. And he basically alluded to, you need these players to win, so you have to be careful with when you bench them. Talk about not keeping players accountable. And is there a place where we can focus on that more of a team that has a ridiculous amount of talent but can't get over the hump than Toronto? And I'm not trying to shit. Look, I love Austin Matthews, so I'm not ready to shit on him or anyone else for the most part there. But you talk about a mentality that an organization needs to have, and to have a coach that's afraid to bench star players in key situations because he's worried about winning and losing. If you're ultimately worried about winning and losing, you should want the right culture and environment for your organization for players to understand and buy into what it takes to become a winner. And if you're worried about game-by-game -game situations, look, that's a tiny, tiny loss to get your eventual big win. You gotta take that for what it is and move on from it. But if you're afraid to discipline your players, I'm sorry, I just don't see how you're gonna win unless you just have a ridiculous amount of more talent than everyone else and you find a way to get it done. But at the professional level, that's a rarity. You're generally not gonna see that. Look, it's great to have a coach that you like playing for. But ultimately, what I want and what I'm shocked that more other people don't want, I guess that maybe I'm not. Most people want the easy way out and to find the easiest way and path to victory. Work smarter, not harder, right? I don't know. Not for me, man. I wish I had more coaches that held me accountable. When I look back at the coaches that gave me the most shit and stopped me in my tracks and didn't let me allow my bullshit to take over and affect me as a player, those are the ones that ended up getting the most out of me and that I ultimately look back on and I had the most respect for. But if you let star players be star players and not be a part of the rest of the team, expect implosion from the inside. Expect the bullshit. Should John Tortorella be wanting more out of Patrick Laine? Of course. He wants Patrick Laine to be the best player he can be. But does he need to sit back and be afraid because he hopes that Laine will re-sign? And if he doesn't do it, then there he goes? You think John Tortorella cares about that? Look at how many star players have left Columbus and been gone and found very little success elsewhere while Columbus has kind of been the same that entire time. Have they gone over the hump? No. They haven't had the talent. The one year they did, and they lost all those players... The next year they had just a, an empty closet from what they had the year before and they end up knocking off the top team in the, in, the, in the conference. In the entire league. There's a reason for that. There's a reason why Toronto got knocked off by Columbus last year. There's a reason why Tampa the year before got knocked off by Columbus. I'm just saying, I'll take John Tortorella 10 times out of 10. I want that mentality on my hockey team. I want that level of accountability in my organization. I want everyone to buy in to the system and for everyone to become better and for us to want to win. That's what I want and that's what you should want for your team, for your organization. I want a guy like John Tortorella who gives no fucks and wants to win and wants the best for you and for everyone else. And the fact that so many people feel the need to blame torts and take the side of star players in these scenarios blows my mind. Well, 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 if, 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 if you don't do what he wants, then there he goes. Let him go.
Let's see how successful and how good they become throughout the rest of their life, hoping that talent will take them everywhere they need to go. Just think about it for what you want. And luckily, Line A came out and said he was wrong in this scenario. From what was reported, it sounded like he maybe yelled at an assistant or was disrespectful to someone, and from then on, Torts benched him. That wasn't exactly what came out of the camp, but that's what came out from a side reporter. Whether that's true or not doesn't matter. What matters to me most is what Line A said afterwards, and he said, I deserved it. And he said, the thing that I know abundantly above everything else is that it doesn't matter how good you are, torts will bench you if you deserve it. I don't know about you, but to me, that sounds like growth. Look, that's all I got on this. This is episode 7 of the Quick Mitts podcast. I'm Joaquin Rivera. Thanks for joining me. Thank you.